Last week, uh, the message that I gave you was entitled, Loving, Leaving, and Longing. And in that message, we learned that we are to love one another, leave sin behind, and long for the pure spiritual milk because we're changed people. And it was part of the progression that Peter laid out for us of what happens in our lives as we're, we're allowing the Lord to change us and transform us. And, and he also told us that the, the word of God has caused us to be born again and given us new life, a life that won't perish. And the focus was on how we are to live our lives right now in the present. He said, you've been changed. You've been given this, this living hope that's, that's changing you. Um, and now you need to live like it. Well, today, we're going to also get a glimpse of what God is doing with us in the long term. So not only do we know that he's at work in our lives right now, and that affects the way we live life right now, but also we know that he's doing something in us in the long term, in the future. And today, Peter's going to give us a glimpse at what it is that we're part of in that, that long term that we're aiming for. So let's read the passage that we're going to study here today in 1 Peter chapter 2. We start in verse 4. Here's what it says. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter here is going to continue in a theme that we've, we've seen throughout the book of 1 Peter. And in this letter, he talks a lot about life, about the life that we've been given, about the life that we're a part of, and the, the life that's filling our, our lives. Um, back in, in chapter 1, verse 3, he said that we've been given this living hope. We've been born again to a living hope. In verse 23, it, it, he told us that we're, we're living through this living and abiding word of God. And now he's going to describe us with this whole new image, um, an image that doesn't really make a lot of sense in the natural word, world to us, but where he describes us as living stones, living stones, rocks, but rocks that are alive. Now, we don't have an image of that. We don't know of living rocks that we think about. But throughout Scripture, 
and, and we'll see why he chooses to call us living stones here in, in a minute as we look through some of the, the, the pieces of scripture that he's, he's thinking about and he's pondering on. Um, but think about a stone, think about a rock and, and try to picture with me some of what that represents. What does a rock represent to a human being? What does a stone represent? What, what is, what's involved there? Well, for one thing, they're solid. They tend to last. They can handle a lot of things. They can handle uh, being right next to the ocean and waves pounding against them for decades at times. And yeah, they'll erode on the outside over time, but there's still these permanent structures, these powerful, sturdy things, right? Wind, waves, water, storms, all kinds of things. You can drive over the top of them with heavy vehicles. You can try to smash them with hammers. But rocks are, are permanent and they're solid. In the Old Testament, they, they were used for their permanence to mark, um, mark something of significance in their lives as a, a stone of remembrance often um, comes. One of the stories where this happens is with the children of Israel after Moses has led them out of slavery from Egypt and they've wandered through the desert for 40 years. If you want to go back and read about that, you can find that in the book of Exodus. The Exodus means the coming out of Egypt. And, and as they come out of Egypt, they wander through the desert and God is building them and shaping them as a people. It's where he's establishing the, the sacrificial system for them. He's beginning to tell them, what does it look like to be uh, my people, my chosen people? And how are you going to become a nation when what you've been in the past was a, a civilization of slaves in Egypt? And Moses has led them all through the wilderness. But at the end of that 40-year period of wandering through the wilderness, it was time for the people to enter into the promised land that God said that he was going to set aside for them. He said, I'm going to lead you into a land that is going to be a fruitful land, a place that you can thrive. And, and eventually as a nation, you're going to come there. And we find this story when it's finally time for the children of Israel to, to come into the promised land. Moses, their leader who led them out of Egypt dies. And the leadership has been passed on to another man by the name of Joshua. And before they cross over this river, the Jordan River, which was the boundary between the wilderness area and Canaan, the promised land, where they're going to go, God tells Joshua, he says, you're about to head into the promised land. I'm going to do some pretty radical things to put in the people's memory this, this way, this provision that I'm making for you as you cross into the promised land. But when you do that, I also have a couple things that I'd like you to do to mark this moment in history because I want there to be something permanent that the people can see and look at and remember what's taken place to get you from the wilderness into the promised land. And so he gives Joshua this information and Joshua then passes on the information to the people. And we see that in Joshua chapter four, verses five and seven. Here's what it says. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you 
When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So what happened as they crossed into the promised land, it was, it was similar to what happened when the people left Egypt. But remember, that was 40 years earlier. And what happened when the, the people of Israel left Egypt, they came to a body of water, the Red Sea. You might remember this story. And the Pharaoh of Egypt, he changed his mind. He had already gone through all the plagues and everything else uh, to where he finally said, fine, Moses, you take all these people, which is all of our slave labor, our entire labor force of the nation of Egypt, take them all, let them all go. Just get out of here. We can't handle any more of these terrible things that have been happening to us through the plagues. So Moses takes the people, they start heading out and they start leaving Egypt. And when they come to the edge of the Red Sea, around that time, Pharaoh back in his palace is like, what was I doing? How are we gonna take care of all these things that we need to take, take care of? We've lost our entire labor force. I changed my mind. He gets an army together and says, go get them. So as they're being pursued by the, the army of Egypt and they're blocked now by the Red Sea, you remember the story. God says to him, Moses, walk up and stretch your staff over this. And what happens is this supernatural occurrence where the Red Sea parts and the entire nation of Israel passes across a seabed, the bottom of the sea, on dry land all the way over to where they need to go. Well, 40 years later now, as they're up to this river and it's time to cross over, they do the same thing. And it says that they're to take the Ark of the Covenant. Remember that is a, a gold overlaid wooden box. And within it is the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments. And so the priests are supposed to pick up the poles of this that's on this box that they carry it with. And all they were supposed to do is walk into the Jordan River. And as soon as they put their feet in the Jordan River, the river stopped flowing and the water receded and made space for the people to cross over on dry land. And so what God says is, I want you to take stones and I want you to build a pile on the other side of the Jordan River here that is going to be permanent, that is going to be a memorial, a monument, so that in the times to come, in the future, you can tell your children and they can tell their children and their children's children and their grandchildren, those rocks right there, those came from the bottom of the river. And they came from the bottom of the river and we didn't have to go dive down into the river to pull them out. We walked across on dry land. And this will be a marker for you to remember this powerful work of God. And so it's very important. Um, back when, when we were first starting this church, South Point was being planted together with a group of us. Um, the, one of the very first, actually the very first Sunday that we ever met together as a church. And uh, many of you who are watching this today were there and you remember this. And one of the things that I had us do as a church was I, I gave everybody a rock similar to this. And we took a rock and on that rock, we took a marker and we marked on it, you know, South Point and the date and, you know, something on that rock about what we hoped God would do through our church. And I had everybody take that home with them and keep them. And, and some of you have those rocks to, to this day. I do. And, and that rock was meant to serve as a monument 
as a reminder of something that God did at that point. Because now, even now, looking back on that over four years ago, I realized that was a long time ago and it's easy for our memories to get fuzzy. But I remember that day and the hopefulness that we had. We had no idea if we would be a church four years later. We had no idea if anybody else would join us in this endeavor. We just knew that this was what God was calling us to do and we wanted to step out in faith in it. But that's where he's going here with this. When he says we're living stones, there's a sense of that permanence for us. He's saying you've been changed by God, you've been transformed by God, and this is a permanent change. It's like a stone. And that's who we are, living stones, people permanently changed by God. Now, what else does he say there in that verse, though? He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. Um, but before that, in verse 4, he says, but you're rejected by men. You're rejected by men. And it's a hard truth that even in modern times, exiles and refugees, we, when we began this book, you know, he, he starts off in verse 1 and says, this, this book is written to the elect exiles, and he tells us uh, time and time again, hey, we're, re- we're going to be rejected. We're, we're people from the outside. And, and in, in truth, a lot of times exiles and refugees are usually rejected by the people that they're coming to. That's the way it works. And it's that way for a lot of different reasons. Um, it could be just because they're simply different. A lot of times refugees are fleeing from a war in their own nation and with that, they're, they're leaving their country and trying to tra- travel into a different country. And with it, they're bringing different cultures and customs and uh, languages and ways of dress and sometimes different skin color and race and economic background and all these things. That's what exiles are, are doing a lot of times. And so sometimes it's just because they're different, they're rejected. But also, just by entering into a new society, they're going to naturally disrupt the normal way of life for those who already live there. So that could be another reason that they're rejected. And often they have needs that require the people who are living in that area to sacrifice, to help care for the needs of those people. That can uh, make people want to uh, reject them. Because really what it comes down to is exiles. Exiles bring a pressure from the outside that can make others who are comfortable feel uncomfortable. And here's the thing that you have to understand. This is the way that most Christians throughout history have been viewed as exiles. They bring that pressure from the outside. And and, uh, Christians for, for decades, for centuries, have been really viewed as rejects. And Jesus told us that's how it was gonna be. And Peter acknowledges that that is how it was for these Christians. And so he says, look, you're a living stone, but you're rejected by men. But we've got some consolation here. But even though we're rejected by the world, look what he says next. He says, but in the sight of God, you're chosen and precious by God. Chosen and precious. God loves the world in a general sense, but God loves you specifically. And you are chosen and precious in the sight of God. You are his children. You're his children. And as Christians, we know we're going to be rejected by the world, but we're going to be included in God's plan. 
And what does he go on and say here in the way that he describes this in verse five? He says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Individually, we are really many temples of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. That's what we learn. Paul says it that way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? God's temple is holy and you are that temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that is who, who we are. And as living stones, if you're filling out your, your fill in the blank, here's the first one here today. As living stones, we are a monument representing God's work in the world. As living stones, we're mon- a monument representing God's work in the world. Creation itself speaks of God's presence. All right? It, it speaks of God's presence. But Christians speak of God's personhood because of who we are in him, because of what he's doing in us. We're precious to God and we're honored to represent him in the world. And as a group, we are the house of Christ that we're being built into this spiritual house. That's what the church is, a community of Christians representing God and God's work in the world. And we, as as people, are individual stones of that house. Each one of us with our unique parts, bringing our unique selves to the church to be a a part of the church. And each piece, no matter how unique we are, each piece is found in the blueprint. We're we're each one, these specialized uh, building materials that are integrated into the whole. And we are being built into a spiritual house. We're being built into a spiritual house. And as the spiritual house that we're being built into, we have a purpose. And what's the purpose? He tells us there in verse five. He says, you're being built up as a spiritual house. Why? To be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A holy priesthood. Well, what what is a priest's job? A priest's job is to help facilitate worship. That's what a priest does. In the Jewish system, the priests were the ones that would know all the technicalities of the the sacrificial system. They could tell you, uh, you know, if if you... at the different feasts, when, you, when the, the Jewish people would gather together and they'd bring the different offerings, you know, they would know, okay, this is what is supposed to be included in an offering of a first fruits. Here's the offering that you bring once you have a child. Here's the different ways that you bring sacrifices. Here's what the sin offering is. They also knew all the details of how the temple was supposed to run. They would tell you this is the ingredients for the incense that we burn. This is how we bake the bread that we make. This is how we sacrifice the animals and put them on the altar. And this is when the blood is poured out. And this is when it's sprinkled. And they knew all those details and they helped the people come and properly approach God. That's what their job was to do. So when he says here, well, that's who you are. You're becoming this holy priesthood. You might feel like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? What do I have to know? What do I have to do? A priest, that's a role I don't know if I'm ready for. Well, what are the spiritual sacrifices that we offer that he describes? 
Well, it tells us in Scripture. And what that, that is, the spiritual sacrifices that we offer is ourselves. Here's how it says it clearly in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to listen, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What are we to offer? Ourselves. Ourselves as these people that are being transformed, being changed, as we've learned a couple weeks ago, the ways that we are being called to obedience to allow God to work through us and change us and purify us and make us holy like he is holy. All those different things are taking place. And then we are offering ourselves to the Lord for him to use us and do with us what he wants to do with us in the world. So our purpose, here's another fill in the blank for you. Our purpose is to reveal the work of God in our lives to the world. We're being built differently than the world around us. And how is it that we're being built differently? Well, he tells us. This is where he goes on there in verse six. He says, it stands in scripture, and this is where he's going to quote Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Who is the cornerstone? Jesus. Jesus is the, our cornerstone. Now, what, what's a cornerstone? Well, in ancient building, uh, especially, what they would do is the builders would find this stone that was as square and flat as possible. And that would be the, the one stone that they would begin with for their foundation to line everything else up with. They would want it to be as square and shaped perfectly as possible because otherwise, if it's a little crooked or tilted or whatever, as you start building the building, the whole wall would be leaning or it wouldn't come out into a square if you're trying to make a square or a rectangle. So they'd really want to start with the perfect cornerstone because then the integrity of the rest of your building would be built the way it needed to be built. And that is what scripture had said. Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, prophesied by the power of God that God said, I'm going to lay a cornerstone and he's going to be chosen and precious and he's going to be perfect. And that's what he did in Jesus. I, I love that he called us chosen and precious back in verse four. And now he's referring to Jesus uh, in, in verse six has chosen and precious. You might say we're kind of like a chip off the old block as the saying goes, right? Jesus is the cornerstone. He's chosen and precious. But us as living stones, we also are chosen and precious. And our lives are to line up with his, with the cornerstone. And we're supposed to live that way even though we're exiles, even though we're rejected by other people. We who believe in him, it tells us there at the end of verse six, we won't be put to shame. Now, one of the big important points that I want you to get in this and out of this passage here is that as Christians, as these living stones being built into the spiritual house, we are being built to last. 
We are being built to last. That is a part of our future hope. Let's face it. Right now, when you you look around in the world around us, if you read the news, you uh, watch anything in media, you, you recognize and you realize that the Christian name of what it means to be a Christian or people that are called Christians, the Christian name is in decline in our culture. Now, I'm not saying Christianity is in decline. In fact, Christianity will, will always exist. The church is never going away. Why? Because God has established it and he'll continue to grow it and build it forever and ever until the day that Jesus Christ returns. Church will not go extinct, no matter what people may tell you. But the, the reputation of Christians, especially in this culture right now, is on the decline. And, and it's, it's not a good thing. Now, I don't know whether or not that will change in the coming years, but what I do know is that ultimately who we have aligned ourselves with, um, or uh, rather, we who have aligned ourselves with Jesus, we will be exalted. Now, I don't say that with a sense of arrogance or superiority, oh, well, we Christians, we're always going to survive because we're built on Jesus. Um, yeah, that's true, but it's simply a promise that God's given us. He says, if you put your hope and your trust in me, if you align your life with mine, I'm going to keep you forever. You're going to be permanent. You're going to be eternal. You're going to live with me for eternity. And that is what is built in to part of the, the relationship that we have with Jesus. We're being built to last. And he says here in verse seven and eight, he says, that's an honor for us. But for those who don't believe, that stone, the stone that is Jesus, that is the cornerstone, that stone was rejected by the builders. And what's that stone going to do? Therefore, in verse 8, it's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. We have been given an honor of being included in the eternal living church, the spiritual house. It's God's house. It's what he's building, what he's doing. We have that privilege to be part of that. But those who have rejected that cornerstone, we've got our cornerstone over here that we're being built on. But those who reject that cornerstone, the builders in this case, they picked their own cornerstone and they want to build their lives on a different cornerstone. And that cornerstone can be all sorts of different things, but whatever it is, it's not Jesus. And, and really what's happening is they're building a different building because they're using a different cornerstone. They're using a different anchor point. They're starting from a different place. They, they're on a completely different job site, you might say. And what's it going to ultimately do? It's going to cause them, he says there, it's going to cause them to stumble. They're going to build this building and realize, whoa, we're not built on the permanent cornerstone. We're built on shaky foundation. You may remember um, that story from the Gospels. I remember as a little kid, it was one of my favorite Bible stories, uh, talking about the wise man who built his house upon the rock, but the foolish man who built his house on sand. And what happened when the waves and the water and everything came after it, the one house that was built on the rock stood 
but the one that was built on sand crumbled and collapsed. This is the exact same illustration that's being given here. That's the way it is. Those people are going to stumble. Now, even when I say that, I realize this is hard for us. That feels really harsh. That feels really heavy, especially when the people, some of the people that we care most about are included in that group. Guys, I know some of your histories and some of your stories and some of your family backgrounds. And I know that for many of us, we have relatives, family members, friends, coworkers, best friends, in some cases, spouses, children that have not built them, their lives on the cornerstone of Jesus. And they are over on this other job site. They relocated. They didn't like the building codes. (laughs) So they came over here and they're trying to build on something else. And that's hard. That's very hard. But I do want to give you just a word of encouragement on that this morning. I think for some people, stumbling over Jesus is the only way they can ever really truly come to him. And so even though we see that there may be, they may be doing some stumbling right now in life and trying to figure things out on their own and falling apart in many ways, that may be the very thing that allows them to ultimately hit rock bottom and, and realize, wow, I built this house, it collapsed, I need to find a new way to build a house. That may be the thing that allows them to turn to Jesus and to begin to build their lives in that way. So continue to pray powerful prayers for people's transformation and and that their lives would be changed. Because our role, as those that are being built into this spiritual house, our role as those holy priests of God, our role is to represent him as accurately as possible, even if the truth causes other people to stumble. Even then. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20, it says this. It says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Those people that we know and love and care for that we want to see come to Christ, which is everybody who's not in Christ, that is part of our role. We are called as ambassadors to go and to share the truth and the love of Christ to other people. Let's just make it our aim that if people stumble, if if they're going to stumble, that they stumble over Jesus, not over us. Because unfortunately, that's what's happening in our culture in a lot of places. The name of Christ is on the decline and, and, and churches are under attack in many places. But oftentimes, it has nothing to do actually with Christ or Christianity or the truth of the gospel. What it has to do with is they're actually stumbling over people who call themselves Christians or churches who say that they're doing what God's called them to do. When in fact, it's the farthest thing from Christ and the farthest thing from the gospel. 
So we just want to make sure that if they're going to stumble, they stumble over him, not over us, over the message, not the messenger, um, because that's what's happening. The, the people stumbling over Christians that aren't living like they should and the churches that have gotten off track, but may God help us never to be either of those things. Instead, what we want to do is live like Peter describes here in verses nine and 10. Let's read it again. He says, but you, you're a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. While we remain on this planet, while we live here, we have the opportunity, and it's a great honor and a privilege to reveal to the world what God is up to. As Christians, as that, that chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, God's people, as those people, we get to point to the creator and the sustainer of the universe and testify of all that he has done, is doing, and is going to do. We have that role. We have that possibility, that, that opportunity. And as we see his marvelous light, I love that description right there, as we see his marvelous light more and more clearly, we will become drawn to lead others out of darkness. That's actually one of the things that happens as you walk with God for a long time. As you experience more and more of God's light in your life, you begin feeling a heavier and heavier pull towards those who are not walking in the light. Sometimes um, you see people with the opposite uh, feel. They're like, oh, I just only want to be around people of the light. I, don't, I only want to be around Christians. I only want things that are done this way. I never want to be out there with the rest of the world because ew, they're in darkness. They're gross. They're sinners. They're awful. Yeah, that's true. But as God's light's pouring into you, what should be happening is all of a sudden you, you start to love those people and feel compassion for those people and a desire for those people. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came to a planet full of sinners and had so much heart and love and desire for them that he came onto this planet and began reaching out to them and showing light to them, pulling people out of darkness and into the marvelous light of him. And so when you feel that tug on your heart, that is the Lord working in your life. When you no longer look at, you know, a homeless person on the side of the street and just think, oh, they're just human trash. We've got to push them off to the side. No, instead you look at them and say, oh my gosh, what must they be going through? What's happened to bring them to this point? How can I share the love and goodness of God to that person? That is when the Lord is starting to work in your heart and life. Jesus said it himself in John chapter 8, verse 12. This is one of the best verses ever. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we know that many people are living in darkness today that don't have that light, that don't know that light, that are hopeless. John 1, 9, 14 says, the true light, 
which gives light to everyone, and we just know who that is, is Jesus, was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here's a question for you today. Have you seen God's glory in your life? Are you experiencing that light? Is he at work in your life? And if so, then you can begin proclaiming, as it says here, those excellencies. Proclaim those excellent things and bring light to others. Now, how do you do that? Because when you, when you read that verse and you realize, whoa, I'm, I'm this chosen race, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, God's own special, precious people. And then he says, You're, you are that so that you proclaim these excellencies. You might be like, oh my gosh, the pressure, the weight of that. How am I supposed to reveal God to humanity? <laughs> that seems like something that's way out of my league. Well, well listen, the way that we do that is just by being who God made us to be. It's not about trying to memorize these incredible arguments for the existence of God. It's not about trying to build this platform so that we can reach the largest number of people ever. It's not those things. It's we're just called to be who God's called us to be. And as we live life and as we engage with the world around us, we naturally share the life and the light that is in us. And I think that we sometimes, we stifle ourselves and we don't share Jesus with the world around us because we're self-conscious or we're worried that we're not living up to our own potential and, and we're worried about being rejected or maybe we're just very self-centered. But that's not what we're called to do. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, we've already read the verse where he says, I'm the light of the world. But now look where he turns it. Matthew 5.14, he says, And you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is who you are. You are the light of the world. And remember that. Because as we obey with as we obey the Lord and we engage with the world, we're not pointing to our light. I think that's part of what gives us the, the self-consciousness. You know, we say, man, I'm not lining up my life exactly the way I should, and I'm I say things that I shouldn't always say, and I've done some things that I really you know, regret and I don't feel good about, and there's a lot of these things that just aren't lining up the way that they're supposed to. And so I can't really share with somebody else because they're going to look at me and say, your light's pretty dim. It's not our light that we're supposed to be sharing. We are simply pointing to the light of the world. That's how it works. Even, even Paul, when he said, imitate me, if you know the rest of that verse, what he says is imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
He immediately says, look right through me and look to the Lord. That's where it's supposed to be. And that's where our aim and our focus is. We're not pointing to our light. We're pointing into the light that is in us, the light of the world. And a priest doesn't lead people to worship him. That's not the role of the priest. The role of the priest is to help facilitate other people to worship God. That's the role that we have. So how do we finish here today? What's our conclusion? Well, first off, don't be a lifeless rock. Don't just be a dead stone. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's not what you're called to. You're actually a living stone. You have the life of Christ in you. And that's who we are as God's people. And I I want you to know this too. I think that this message, as I'd been praying through this and where we're at in 1 Peter and even looking ahead um, to what God has for us in the coming months, I, I really do believe that this is a preview of what God is speaking to our church and will continue to speak in the, in the coming months. I want us to picture ourselves as these living stones of who we really are and to begin to learn what that means because soon... We're going to be relaunching as a church who gets to meet together on a regular basis. Finally, it's been far longer than any of us thought it was going to be a year ago, but it's getting close. We're getting close to that. And I'm excited about what the Lord has in store for us all, because I believe that every single one of us, every one of us without exception has a place and has a role in this church Because God has selected us and brought us together and he's the one who's building us up into this this spiritual house for his good and for his glory and for his honor that people would begin seeing the light and life of Jesus. And you know what? It's not just us. I think there are currently spaces right now that God is carving out for some of the other people that we know and love and some people that we don't know yet but that he's going to be bringing in to our church and in with us. And that's going to happen as we engage with those around us. And we see that vision of what God's doing in us and give that vision to others that they can see their role as well. And so I'm, I'm pretty excited for what's going on with that. And next week, the, the speaker that we're going to have, we're going to have a guest, a guest video message next week. And he's going to talk about the importance of the local church. This very thing, the, 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 the crucial aspects of it and learning how to find contentment in it. And so I hope that God would uh, speak to all of us on that through that message as well next week. Well, with that, that's the end of our message here today. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, I ask that you would do everything that you want to do in our church. Lord, we again come to you just like we did on that very first Sunday several years ago. And Lord, we come to you and say, Lord, use us. Bind us together. Build us in the way that you want to build us. Grow us in the way that you want to grow us. We want to be these people that are devoted to you, your transformation of our lives. But we also want to learn how how we're to love each other and how we're to engage with the world around us and love the world around us. And all those things culminating in your glory and our fulfillment. 
because that's what you call us to, and that's what you're doing among us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us understand this very thing, that each one of us are these living stones, that we are part of something that you are building. And I pray that you'd give us a vision for that and a love for that. I pray, Lord, that we would be people that love your church. And I don't mean just specifically loving South Point, but loving the church that you are building, the church universal. That we would love the people of God, the community of God, the brothers and sisters that we have in you. And I pray that you would expand our hearts for it. I also pray, Lord, that you would give us the health and the courage and the strength to reach out to those around us. That we would be those people that are bringing the light and life of Jesus to this entire community. And that we would be known as people that shine brightly for you. Help us, Lord, as we do that. Refine us, change us, purify us. And may Jesus be exalted among us all the time. We love you and thank you for this day. Amen.